Well, good morning, church. You braved in the winter weather advisory, and you're here. You get extra bonus points. As far as I'm concerned, the weather guys can be wrong all day long. It's fine with me, perfectly fine with me. And today, um, I'm more relieved than I am excited to be talking about what we're going to talk about this morning, because God's been tweaking me. He's been torquing me and challenging me through this, and I can't wait to share it with you. Because I believe what we're going to talk about today has the potential to radically transform the way you think about yourself, the way that you view God and what he wants to do in your life. I believe today may be a life-changing moment for you. And so with an introduction like that, I better start off with prayer. So let's pray. Jesus, we do, we invite your presence to come. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you heard our worship, that your spirit is stirring us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would ignite our minds and our hearts. So, God, speak through me, speak to me. I pray that every single person in here would hear the call that you've placed upon their life to lay everything down for you, to be all that they can be for you. You are a great and mighty God who deserves to be praised and glorified and honored in mighty and miraculous ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, you know, most of us, we buy the lie. We buy the lie that nothing supernatural or big is going to happen through me. That's for the special people like Pastor Greg or someone that you might greatly respect. And we feel like we're just lucky to keep up with ourselves and take care of business. You know, I'm just trying to survive. We tell ourselves, I'm just an ordinary person who lives ordinary days doing ordinary things. There's a big problem with that. You see, the God that we serve, the God that we love, he is far from ordinary. In fact, he wants to take your ordinary life and do extraordinary things in it. Jesus wants to use you to do the impossible. So together, let's make a brand new normal, a new normal that expects to see God move, a new normal that puts God's priorities first. And today, the Holy Spirit, he wants to push you and stretch you and encourage you through Joshua's life. And I, I want, before we read this passage in Joshua 10, I want to give you a little bit of background. See, this is about the Israelites going into the promised land. And the very first thing that happened is that God stopped the flooded Jordan River. I mean, he literally stopped the river and allowed the Israelites to cross into the promised land on dry ground. Big, big miracle. And then they're going around, they had the battle of Jericho, where Israel marched around the walls of Jericho. And on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and they made all kinds of noise and shouted. And God knocked the walls down and gave them that city. So word was getting out. And everybody else in the neighborhood was trembling. Their knees were knocking. And the Gibeonites were no exception. And they came up with what I think is a brilliant plan. And so, first of all, they put dirt on themselves, they tore their clothes, they put on the very worst things they had. They looked as pathetic as they possibly could. And they crawled into Joshua's presence and said, Oh, Joshua, we're a people far from a land far, far away, and we're just passing through. Please make a covenant with us that you will not destroy us and also protect us from these strong peoples in this land as we pass through. Joshua really didn't think twice about it. He said, Sure, I'll make that covenant before God with you. Well, lo and behold, the Gibeonites are his next-door neighbors. And they pulled a fast one on him, and so Joshua was feeling kind of embarrassed. And the other people who lived in the area, the other nations, they were fiery mad at the Gibeonites. So let's pick up the story here in Joshua 10 and verse 6. 
And the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. They said, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all of the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us, in parentheses, because they betrayed us. <laughs> so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including his best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. And the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. And Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. And they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah. And the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. And on that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. And Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Aijalon. And so the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, when you read that, you might think, well, that's all and good for Joshua. You know, uh, I don't have Joshua's faith. I don't have Joshua's courage. I don't have Joshua's boldness. And you don't. I don't either. But you see, Joshua, he's not the major player in this story, is he? What you do have, you do have Joshua's God. Because the Savior of the world, the King of all, lives inside of you and me. Which brings us to our first big thought for today. If you're going to do the impossible with God, then you've got to get over yourself. Yourself, if you're filling in the blanks, that's the word you want, yourself. Fill that, write that in right there. In other words, don't give God your lame excuses. You know, the best news of this morning is that you don't have to measure up to Joshua in order for God to do the impossible through you. If you think this is about Joshua, you're terribly confused, even deceived. Now just think about it. What did Joshua do to make the moon stand still and the sun stand still? Did he wave his sonic screwdriver in the sky or, you know, flash his super energy ring or use his telekinetic powers? No, that was all God. That was all God. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you think your shortcomings limit God's power, then you have a drastically overinflated view of yourself. Really. Do you really think that you can diminish the power of God? You see, all authority has been given to Jesus and you really can't mess that up. He's been given the name that's above every other name. He spoke and the universe came into existence. All power belongs to him. He is the source of all life and everything good. And he holds everything in the palm of his hand. That means that God is so big that nothing could ever diminish his glory. Not the devil, not hell itself, not every evil action in all time, and certainly not the likes of you and me. But the beauty of it is that Jesus Christ himself is calling your name. He's calling you to do the impossible with him. And if that's true, I want you to see this statement as it comes up on the screen. God can take your failure and turn it into a miracle. You see, we overlook Joshua's big blunder, don't we? 
Joshua royally messed up. He did not pray to God. Now, you know, if, if Joshua had prayed to God before he made this covenant, that God would have told him that they were lying through their teeth. But no. This is one of Joshua's mistakes. Now, you've never had to protect an army of strangers, but you know what it's like to royally mess up. You know what it's like to be embarrassed about what you've done or some failure you don't want anybody to know about, but everybody knew Joshua's mistake. You see, God uses everything in our lives for his purposes if we'll just let him. In fact, one of God's favorite things to do in your life is to take your failures and use them to set other people free. I know couples, there are couples all over this church, and man, they have had some rocky times in their relationship. But you know what? They've worked on their relationship. They've worked on themselves. They've worked on their relationship with God. And now their marriage is an inspiration to the rest of us. And God uses them on a regular basis to speak life into struggling couples and to help them find victory in that. And the same thing is true for any addiction you might be struggling with. You know, pornography is huge in our culture from all ages. And there's also the addiction of food, which we struggle with, and alcohol, sex, drugs, you name it. You're like me. You want someone in your corner who can identify with you, someone who knows what you're going through, someone who can help you keep from being blindsided by those temptations that come along the way. See that thing that you're so embarrassed about, you don't want anybody to ever know about? God wants to say, look how big I am. Look how awesome I am. And he wants to use that thing in your life to set other people free. That's pretty cool. And so if God wants to do the impossible through you, you've got to get over yourself first. And the point of all this is, if you know Jesus, then you're qualified to do the impossible with God. And now the challenge for us is to pray like we believe it. Now I must confess, you know, I'm one of the pastors here at Union Chapel, and some people call me the prayer guy, and I'm a, even though I'm the prayer dude, you know, I've prayed some pretty wimpy prayers. One of my favorite prayers that I've prayed for myself, I've taught it to my kids, I've prayed it for my wife, I've prayed it for you, is God, give me a good day. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer. That's a good prayer. But God, give me a good day. And as I was prepping for this message, God was prepping me. And he said, hey, Glenn, what does that mean when you ask for me to give you a good day? He says, well, I want to be happy today. I have a happy day. And uh, I don't want anything to frustrate me. And I want everything to go smoothly. And for everything, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, dang. <laughs> it's all about me. You see, what does, what does God really want my day to look like? So maybe instead of God, give me a good day, say, Jesus, give me a God day. Give me a God day. Because a God day looks beyond my selfish desires. A God day looks towards the supernatural things he wants to do in you and me. And so I'm praying now, instead of a good day, for God days to happen. You see, God wants to use you and me to change the world, even if we don't feel like world changers. And so the second big thought today is that if you want to do the impossible with God, you've got to pray like a juggernaut. That's right, juggernaut. There's the word up on the screen. I love this word. In fact, here's the definition. Check out this definition. A juggernaut is a massive, inexorable force, campaign, movement, or object that crushes whatever is in its path. Now, is that not the coolest definition of prayer you've ever read in your entire life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus wants you to pray like a juggernaut. 
He wants us to pray prayers worthy of the God that we're praying to. So pray big things, audacious things, things that come from the heart and the desires of God. Pray dreams and visions that are impossible for you to do. They are bigger than you, and as God answers them, you will pray bigger things still. You see that box we have God in? He wants to blow it up. He just wants to blow it up. And then we're going to put him in a bigger box. He's going to blow that up too. That's exactly what Joshua did. This is a pretty audacious day for Joshua. Remember how the battle started? God confused the enemy. They're running around. They're scared. And if that wasn't good enough, then God sent scud missile hailstones to take them out. I mean, not even Joshua's chariot was dented from all this. How easy would it have been to just stop right there and say, oh, God is so amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for this victory. I would have been happy with a confused enemy in machine gun hail from heaven. But Joshua, he allowed his faith to match the moment because his passion was on the glory of God. And he stood up and prayed, sun, stand still, moon, stand still. And it did for an entire day, all for the glory of God. The motive behind Joshua's prayer, the motive behind his impossible prayer was to make God more famous. And so your juggernaut prayers should be more about God than about you. Now, I confess, I have this tendency to make my prayers all about me, my concerns, my worries, my issues, my problems. And listen to me, God is very concerned about those things. But what he's more concerned about is your focus. Where are you looking when you're praying for that? God wants to change your perspective. In fact, a God-focused prayer might even have the exact same words as a person-focused prayer. Maybe you're praying for someone's healing. Well, don't let that person's health or discomfort be your primary motive. Let your primary motive be showing off the awesomeness of God. Maybe you know someone who has some financial challenges that are really stressful for them. Well, don't let their stress and their, or your own worries be the primary driving force behind your prayer, but to show off the faithfulness of God to always provide. Before you pray... Stop and ask yourself this question. And I want to steal, hijack a little statement you may be familiar with if you've been a Christian for a while. Remember the most popular bracelet in the entire Christian world? WWJD, what would Jesus do? I want to hijack that a little bit and just say, what would Jesus pray? What would Jesus, how would Jesus pray? You know, Hebrews 7.25 says this, says Jesus lives to make intercession for you. means he lives to intercede for you. 2 Corinthians 2.9 says, however, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus is praying audacious juggernaut prayers over you, over me, over our church and our city and our world. And if Jesus isn't praying wimpy, mamby-pamby prayers, then neither should you and me. Jesus is praying like a juggernaut. Here's some ideas on how to put some faith into your prayers I pray for my kids a lot, and one of the things I pray for them is, God, to bless my children. And maybe I could take that a step further and say, God, give my children a passion for you that overshadows everything else in their lives. And I pray for safety. I pray for my children to be safe. Maybe I could pray something like this. God, I, let my kids never leave your side. Let them run with you no matter what's happening in life. So are you ready to pray audacious, faith-filled, juggernaut prayers? I'm glad you are. 
But once you start praying like this, you better brace yourself. Which comes up to our third big thought today is that doing the impossible with God is going to cost you. There's a cost to it. We have this belief that when God uses us, everything's going to be fine and dandy. It's odd, you know, when things start falling apart or complications happen. We're like, is God really in this? See, that's not how it looked to the Israelites, was it? Not at all. It's easy to overlook the price the people of God pay to be a part of the miraculous. I want you to pay close attention to the price the men of Israel paid to be a part of these miraculous battles. You see, the Jordan River was flooded. God miraculously stopped this river and allowed the nation to cross into the promised land on dry ground. And this is the first thing that God did when they entered the promised land. And I want to read it to you. It's from Joshua 5, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Now Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. And now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey when they were wandering around for 40 years had not been circumcised. Now, if you're like me, just the thought of that makes you want to cringe. In fact, first service, my voice cracked when I read the word circumcised. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you've got to be wondering, what is all this about? Because that's just like sadistic, crazy, creepy. But you see, that's not true for Israel's men. You see, they knew this was an important physical sign of God's covenant with them. And don't miss the point that God is calling every man, every woman, every person to lay it all down. God wants all of your trust to be in him. Talk about not holding anything back. And the New Testament speaks directly to this act of circumcision. I want you to consider Paul's words in Romans 2. He says, circumcision is not merely outward and physical. No, it's inward. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Doing the impossible with God requires you allowing God to cut away everything that doesn't bring glory to Him. And trust me, spiritual circumcision isn't any easier than the physical kind. God will ask you to lay down some difficult things, but man, will it ever be worth it? Not one of the Israelite men regretted that day. You see, they were sick of wandering around aimlessly in the wilderness. They were ready to move on with God. They were eager to pay that price. And until you humble yourself before God and submit to his process of renewal, you'll stay right where you are. You see, crossing over into God's promise is preceded by a cutting away. And this process is different for everybody. But here are some common things that God might cut away in your life. You see, God, he wants your security to be completely in him. So what do you trust more than God? Or what competes for your trust? I don't know, maybe it's finances or relationships, whatever it may be. I want you to expect some cutting for God to shift your perspective in those areas. God also wants to be the greatest delight in your life. And so what competes for your compassion or your passion for God? Expect some cutting. What makes you feel significant or important? You know, if it doesn't line up with God's plan for you, let him cut that away. Perhaps God is speaking to you right now. What is he calling you to lay down? What does he want to take the flint knife to in your life? 
Maybe it's something obvious like a thought pattern that doesn't bring glory to him or sin in your life. Or maybe it's something more subtle like a desire to always be right or always win. God might be taking that flint knife to a motive, a dream, or even a relationship that you know isn't honoring to him. If so, know that something better is coming, that God is at work. I'd like to read a quote. It's going to come up on the screen. This is from Stephen Furtick. He wrote a book, Sun Stand Still, which I use extensively in preparing for this message. In fact, it's available in our bookstore. If God's tweaking you and challenging you, you can pick up a copy of that on your way out. Read these words. A high calling often exacts a high price, but it always yields an astronomical return. When God comes towards you with a flint knife, remember that he's not out to hurt you. He's aligning your desires with his desires so that he can accomplish the impossible in your life. And once you've made up your mind to pay the price and trust the Lord with all your heart, nothing is out of reach. Because when you want what God wants for the reasons he wants it, you're unstoppable. Doesn't that help? You see, God goes to all this trouble because he's preparing you to do the impossible with him. And when God does the impossible, he's actively inviting people just like you, people just like me. And that's just how God works. Now, keep in mind, God doesn't need your help. He chooses to work through you. And God wants to involve you in everything he does. He wants you to experience the supernatural with him, which means that prayer is not a spectator sport. Think of it this way. Part of God's answer to the prayer you're praying is you. He wants to use you in the midst of that, which brings us to our next big thought this morning, is that doing the impossible with God requires action on your part. So if you're filling in the blanks, action is the word you want. Look at Joshua and the Israelite army in chapter 10, verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, if God told that to me, I'd be, oh, yeah. God is on my side, so I'm going to get my sunglasses on and my lounger chair out. I'm going to put the white stuff on my nose and get the little drink with the umbrella in it and get my video camera out to capture all the things that God is going to do. But that's not how it worked for Joshua. That's not how it worked for them at all. It says that they had to march all night long from Gilgal. An all-night march? I have this vague recollection back when I was in school of trying to cram for tests that people called all-nighters. I couldn't even stay up and study all night long. How in the world could I march all night long? So pretend you're in Joshua's army and you don't know what's going to happen next. So you're in Joshua's army and Joshua says, okay, we've got to march all night long, you think, to protect the Gibeonites. Like, you mean the people who lied to us? The people that we don't even know? We've got to march all night long to protect them? You've got to be kidding me. Thanks a lot, Joshua. And then once you get there and God starts showing up, you're not finished. Because the first thing that happens is you've got to pull out your sword to fight. And then God sends the hailstones, and you still have to chase after the people who didn't get hit by the hailstones. And if that's not enough, then the sun and the moon stand still in the sky for an entire day, and you have to chase them down for an entire day. These boys are busy. (laughs) They are actively following the lead of God. You see, when God does the impossible through you, expect to march. Expect to get your hands dirty. Joshua and his men realized that faith-filled prayer should be accompanied by faith-filled action. Because when you pray and do nothing, it's like you're telling God what to do. 
And that usually doesn't work very good, I know, because I've tried that. But see, when you pray and act on that prayer, it's like you're marching in line with God. Now, that's got some potential to it, doesn't it? You see, prayer is not your opportunity to get God to work for you. And likewise, God, he's not going to send you off and make you do it all by yourself. God's plan is to actively involve you in what he is already doing. I want you to consider a friend of mine. He's a teacher, and he wants to see his students succeed in school and develop good character. I must confess I've never been a teacher, but I imagine a lot of teaching feels like an all-night march. You know, maybe it's all-night grading papers or... And my friend, he has a heart for these kids who are struggling. The ones who don't have a stable home life or who might have some kind of learning challenge. And you know what he does? He believes in them. He pours himself into them. And there are times when he'll be frustrated because they'll act up in class, because they won't follow through with what he's challenged them to do. And the marching is tiring. And sometimes he feels like he wants to give up. But he doesn't because he wants to see the power of God move in their lives. And he knows that God is working in his students' lives and that God wants to use him to make the sun stand still for that student. Maybe you have a heart for some people that you work with, but where you work is so negative. It looks impossible. Every time you talk about Jesus or church, you get mocked, or or at least you get that thousand-mile stare, like, really? And it feels like you're marching all night long. And you want to get a, give up, but you don't because you want to see that coworker experience Jesus in a personal way. So you keep telling them you're praying for God to bless their life. You keep trying to encourage them and build trust with them, maybe even invite them to things to church because you don't know what God is doing. And you know that he wants to use you to bless those people that you're working with. Let's get a little more personal. Maybe your marriage is coming apart at the seams and you're praying hard for God to restore it. You have got to start marching in the direction or it's never going to happen. So the challenge is to speak kindly to your spouse. Do specific things that make your partner feel loved even if you don't feel loved. Lay down that desire to get even, that desire to, you know, be argumentative and just apologize without expecting an apology in return. Go to this married people event that we're having on February 13th. God wants you to get involved in that miracle. He does. Or maybe debt is eating you alive. And some things that God's calling you to do. Make a budget. Prioritize your expenses. Cut up your credit cards. Meet with a financial counselor and pray and ask God for the impossible. You know, we can't just ask God for someone to give us a winning lottery ticket or for, you know, some unknown, you know, rich uncle to leave us a great inheritance. Uh, But God, he will provide. There are people all over this room who have been in financial straits, and they can stand up and tell you how God has supernaturally provided for them and gotten them out of debt and gotten them free and clear when it looked impossible. God wants to show off his power. I love this statement. It kind of helps solidify this thing we've been talking about. It says this, you do the natural and trust God for the super. I like that. Us doing the natural part and trusting God for the super. Don't expect the sun to stand still if you're not willing to march. And God finds pleasure when his children participate in his purposes. God longs to do the impossible through you. So get over yourself. 
Pray some God-sized prayers. Let Jesus take the flint knife to your character and act on that prayer that you're praying, and God will do the impossible through you. You don't know where, you don't know when, you don't know how, but until it happens, you keep marching in the right direction. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you. The same spirit that broke the curse of sin lives inside of you. The same spirit that spoke the world into existence lives in you. And the same spirit that made the sun and the moon stand still wants to break out in your life and in my life. And let's trust him with that. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, I've had a hard time paying attention to my message because I'm so excited about what's getting ready to happen right now. And I want to invite Carly Cook to come up here. Go ahead and come up, Carly. You might remember Carly. There's some pictures of her up on the screen. You might remember her from the Before I Die series we did in October of 2013. And when you see Carly, you might notice that she uh, typically wears a mask. And uh, it's not because, you know, she thinks she's a superhero or something or it's not some fashion statement. It's because her body can't handle your germs. And now when you hear her story, you're going to want to come hug her and, you know, shake her hand. Just wave to her, okay? <laughs> Just wave to her. Um, because God has been doing some amazing things in her life. You see, Carly, she was born with Doc 8, which is a rare debilitating disease that made her body unable to fight off viruses, bacteria, and fungus. She's been in and out of the hospital most of her life. She fought off stage 4 cancer and has struggled with this disease. We were running out of time and running out of options. Six months ago, we sent Carly off to the National Institute for Health. Now, just so you know, everybody calls it the NIH. So when you hear the words NIH, this means National Institute for Health. And so Carly, she basically got to, she's a really cute guinea pig. And so they're doing all these tests and trying to figure out how to treat Doc 8. And so we sent her off for this experimental procedure that had never been done in the U.S. for this disease before, ever. And together as a church, we prayed the impossible. And six months ago, I stood on this stage. I did not know that you guys were watching over live stream. But I said these words. Either God's going to do a miracle or Carly's going to go home and be with Jesus. Well, here she is. Carly had to take this horrible medication that basically killed off her immune system and her bone marrow without killing her. And uh, one of the nurses came up to her because this, this medicine had to be like encased in lead and they had to wear special gloves to give it to her. And the nurse felt so bad giving it to her. She said, Carly, do you want some gloves? And Carly just looked at her and smiled. She says, well, I'm putting it in my mouth. <laughs> That's Okay. And I can't even begin to explain what a haplotransplant involves. But I want you to see this picture of Carly. This is before her treatment. Go ahead. Just, I want you to see. Look at that picture. Look at that picture. Now, Doc 8 is not a skin disease. It affects her entire body. And now I want you to put up that picture of Carly with her transplant doctor. Yeah. Look at this girl. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. You see, what God has done is supernatural. The circumstances looked impossible, if not for the God that we serve. The doctors and nurses there are amazed and astonished at her progress, and now she's the poster child for this brand new procedure. 
And the success of this surgery has some pretty big implications for this field of medicine. Now, this miracle is still in progress. Carly is not completely healed. She still has uh, some recovery to happen. Her kidneys need to recover. And she's got some things that she wants to share about how God has been speaking to her throughout this whole process in some ways that he's been healing her. So let's listen to Carly tell her story. Well. My bad. I mostly just want to talk about what's happened in the last year. After reflecting on last year's events, I learned something huge. I began to see how God's plan is interwoven with timing, transformation, and what I call divine appointments. To try and keep this as short as possible, I'll be skipping much of my story, but focusing on the interwoven points. In January, my doctors became wary of my mysterious hypertension and began searching for the cause. We found renal artery stenosis to be causing that. This caused concern, but so much confusion on how to treat it. As we were seeking advice from outside of NIH, it created a new circle of doctors in Indiana who ultimately could focus on the kidneys and the heart with the direction of NIH. I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure at the beginning of March. No one saw that coming. During that process, I was in school, involved in, with um, Campus Crusade for Christ. When I heard about the spring break outreach trip to Panama City Beach, Florida, I, had, I started praying and wondering if this is something I should do. God was tugging on my heartstrings, and I knew I needed to go to Panama City Beach with Ball State crew. This conference taught me about sharing God's word and the importance of drawing near to God. During that week, my congestive heart failure worsened, leaving me struggling to breathe. NIH flew me directly out from Florida, directly into the ICU. The timing of when this happened was not by chance. It just so happened that my mom's boss was vacationing in Florida, only a few miles away. So when I had no convenient way, he helped me get the medication I needed, and he transported me to the airport. I spent the rest of the month in the ICU. NIH knew that I needed to get back to Indiana to my uh, heart doctors and my kidney doctors, but they had to stabilize me first. Finding the doctors in Indiana prior to this was not by chance. As I got into their care, my renal arteries were ballooned and my blood pressure stabilized, thereby giving my heart a chance to not work so hard. Another key point during my ICU uh, stay at NIH was the introduction of a document called Voicing My Choices. This document gave me a say about my comfort, my care, and my funeral if it came to this. I'll get back to that in a minute. In April, I was tired of my body failing and I knew that it was only gonna get worse and worse. So with more tugs on my heartstrings, I made the decision to proceed with the haplo transplant. This all seemed like it was happening all so fast. I began to think about my family, my friends, and the possibility of meeting my creator in heaven. I had to prepare for the possibility of death and I was brought to the situation of my older sister. In, in preparation, I was in conversations with God. I was seeking his peace. At, at serve in June 
of last year, during one of the um, evening experiences, I was prayed for and I felt very encouraged. I found the peace that passes all understanding. The next week, I was at NIH starting the pre-transplant qualifying tests. Again, the timing of prayer was not by chance. God had prepared me. My family had already set aside two weeks for summer vacation, meaning my brother Tyler had his time off from work, which was God's perfect timing for when he was donating his bone marrow, I was starting chemo. On July 25th, I had my life-saving first of its exact kind of transplant. This was the first haplotransplant for Doc 8 in the United States. They call me a pioneer. Its success has paved a way for the next one in March. I have been blessed with my 14-year relationship with NIH. This relationship was not by chance. As they have watched me grow up and know who I am and what I believe, my, doc my doctors, they trust me to be a spokesperson for Doc8. And in a way, God has made me an ambassador of hope for my fellow Doc8 family. I get to meet Doc8 patients, share encouragement, hope, God's faithfulness, and my journey. In reflection of this, I was thinking about how my sister Kelsey and I shared this Doc8 disease. And it was comforting for us because we shared it together. When Kelsey lost her battle, I found this new emptiness. I knew that I wanted to meet more Doc 8s. This began a new path of reaching out and finding other Doc 8s, a path that God has truly blessed. My mom and I recently had an unexpected trip to NIH, and this was last Thursday through Friday. And I didn't really want to go. It was kind of a huge inconvenience. But this short 24-hour trip was a godsend. I got a skin biopsy, and then I was blessed with the, spending the rest of the day talking to three Doc 8 patients. And I hadn't known that they were there before. <laughs> I am the only Doc 8 person whom each of them has met. One of the... Um, one of them will be the second haplo transplant for Doc 8 in March. She was so happy to meet me and ask questions, and I was elated to answer her questions and meet her. What was most exciting was talking with the family from Iran. We briefly stuck our heads in earlier this month to say hi, but without a translator, it's kind of tough. But they remembered us. God's timing was yet again perfect. For a translator of Farsi had conveniently met us at the door of the Iranian girl. We answered so many questions and they were so open and we took photos, shared emails, and developed relationships. This was amazing. Back to voicing my choices. This document has led to an article in the New York Times. It has also led to my sharing about this document to other Doc8 patients. In order for the writer of this story to get a grip on our family in my story, she watched it um, on the video that Union Chapel did last October. She shared this with her editor and her team, and they want to expand on the story. So, another story is in the making this week as a videographer comes from New York to Muncie. And so he's going to follow us around all week.
God's divine appointments, aren't they miraculous? His plan is extravagant and it weaves and interlaces my life in ways that I can't comprehend at all. By honoring God in all things, he makes the impossible possible. Where does this lead me next? I can't wait to see. Luke 1, 37 says, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I truly believe that. Isn't that good? You can remain standing. Carly knows this is God's miracle. It's not her miracle. It's not our church's miracle. This is the work of God Almighty. And you get the point. God was to do the impossible through you. Here it is. Here she is standing on the stage right here. You know what? If Carly has the faith to jump out and share Jesus in the midst of all the craziness she's she's gone through, then we can too, can't we? Because Jesus Christ is alive. His power is active and moving. He is doing something special in your life and in my life. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, thank you that you are a God who does the impossible. Thank you for your amazing love. And Lord, as we stand here with our precious friend Carly and we're inspired by her faith, we also ask in faith and use that faith right now and ask that you would completely restore her body. Every single cell in her body, we pray that there would be no trace of Doc 8 within her whatsoever. Lord, thank you that as we pray, her kidneys are getting stronger, that her heart is getting stronger, that her skin is growing more resilient. We even thank you that her allergies are going away. So I thank you for your healing. And we thank you that you are bringing honor and praise to yourself through her. So we bless you with all that we are, Lord Jesus. Lord, you are the one true God who deserves to be praised. So glorify yourself through us. Make a name through, for yourself through our lives. In Jesus' name, you have what it takes to do the impossible with God. In Jesus' name, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, you will march and not give up. In Jesus' name, you will declare that we serve and love the impossible God who does unstoppable things. In Jesus' name, amen.